0: Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest is a 22-year-old leather man from Colorado and has a fetish for sub-dom dynamics and bondage. Just a friendly reminder for those just tuning in, this podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. well hello everyone this is brandon your mr bullet leather 2020 and today we have daniel bind hi daniel hi there thank you so much for having me Uh, absolutely how's your day been
1: Uh, it's been pretty great so far i'm i'm really glad to be talking with you this evening
0: awesome well welcome to the show and um daniel for those of our audience members who may not be familiar with you would you mind giving us a little intro please
1: oh absolutely i'd be happy to uh my name is daniel bind I am a 22-year-old leather man from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I am a cis man, and my pronouns are he, him, and I identify as gay. I've been in the leather community basically since I turned 18, um, kind of on recon and eventually getting involved in a leather club around here. And I'm really glad to be talking with you this evening.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, um, Daniel, I think it's really important to have people your age actually on this show. For many reasons, you know, I I wanted to start this show really for like the posterity and uh, of stories from the older generations. But shortly upon starting this podcast, I realized that it's really important for the older generation to really hear how us younger folk are coming into the scene as well, because it's a very different experience a lot of times. So I'm curious to know, I mean, first, let's get to know you a little bit more first. So did you grow up in Colorado? Or is that just where you live now?
1: I grew up in Colorado. I actually grew up in a rural town in the mountains, so growing up I didn't know a whole lot of gay people. I didn't didn't really have anybody to look up with, and mm-hmm. I think it's pretty interesting that I got so heavily involved in the community so quickly, given that I didn't really have a background of knowing a lot of people, not really even knowing that the scene existed um, in my hometown.
0: So, I mean, at what age did you figure out that there was a scene? Well, I remember that I, first of all, like
1: knew I was into S&M and bondage basically since I was like 13 or something. I was just, Uh it was an interest of mine that I couldn't figure out. I didn't know like what it meant or how that fit into sexuality in general. When I kind of started growing up, when I turned 18, I was like, oh my gosh, there's this app called Recon. It's got all these like sexy men wearing leather. This is so (laughs) exciting. And I did a little bit of that in my hometown, where you log in and be like, "Oh wow, the nearest person's like 27 miles away, and the next person 70."
0: Going to be my next question. I mean, is a leather scene? Uh, what what is it like out there? I mean,
1: it's just it's not a scene. It's just a couple random people who have recon profiles, and you can go over to their houses, but there's not there's not any play parties. There's not any like cohesive community.
0: Okay. Okay. When you first discovered that you were... Uh, okay, what? when did you first discover that you were gay, first of all?
1: Uh That's a good question. I. It's funny. I think I... So I guess I was very sheltered. I didn't really know what was... I didn't understand sex in that, like, I knew that it was something to, like, create children or whatever. I didn't know that it was supposed to be, like, pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, 13 at the time. Like, all the other kids were making, like sex jokes all over the place and I was just like, wow, I don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> and then I was like on Wikipedia looking up pictures of people in straight jackets for some reason huh. and that was like turning me on in some in a way that I didn't understand. And so I basically like all in one swoop I was like, oh, I'm into this weird like people tying each other up thing and I'm gay. And now I know what sex is.
0: Wow. Okay, so your first porn was, like, people in bondage, basically.
1: <laughs> like, literally just, like, a Wikipedia article. I was, like, looking at this picture, and I'm like, wow.
0: Now, I mean, looking <laughs> back, do you know now, like, what was so fascinating about it, too? I, like, that's, that's a good question. I, like, from before then, when I,
1: before I knew it was sexual, I always have, like, an attraction to things that, like were around bondage. I remember like reading a story in elementary school that was like, oh, we're doing this experiment where we like we taped these two people to the wall and like ex- saw who could stay on the wall the longest or something. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it was just like so mind-blowing to me, and I was like, what what is it? why am I so interested in this? Is this this doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Yeah. Um, like am I supposed to just like is it my goal that I should, like, go to prison or something and be tight. Ty- like, what is happening? I don't know.
0: <laughs> now, have you had, uh, like, did you have boyfriends or anything like that growing up?
1: I didn't. I, I was probably the only out kid at my high school for most of the time, so I didn't really see anybody at school, I didn't really know anybody who was gay at school, they had, came out afterwards. Um, oh so, wow, so
0: wait, you came out during high school? Yeah, I did.
1: I was 16.
0: What? Okay. I I feel like I would have been so afraid to come out at 16. Uh, what prompted you to do that? I, I, did you feel comfortable that your parents were going to be like chill with it? Or what's the story there? Well,
1: I'd known it for a while. And I was like, I I'd had crushes on people and whatever. And I was just like, I saw... Because we live in a really different society right now than we lived in a couple years ago, it seemed like things were really, like, actually open. I, Not a lot of people were out themselves, but I felt like I didn't really have that much to be concerned about, which I am really thankful for, because there's a lot of people who did not have that liberty many years ago, and there's a lot of people who still do not have that liberty now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I... I had a friend who was really supportive and I kind of, I went out and I made a big splash. I like came out like during a choir concert because of course I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, like high school musical style?
1: (laughs) It was like a coffee house event. We were all like, we were doing this fundraiser for this organization called the Love is Louder campaign. And that's like a thing that promotes like, hey, all these things that are happening, all these like... Dynamics all this bullying that happens like love is more important than all of that We all need to like love each other. So we're oh. doing a fundraiser for that We all had like a word on our shirt that was like a stereotype or something people would have a shirt that said like obnoxious or like pretty girl or whatever and and then they would like take the Shirt off and underneath that they'd have a shirt that says like me or whatever hmm and so I had a shirt that said defenseless or something. Everyone else picked it out for me, and I don't know what was going on there. But, like, right before the concert, I was like, hey, can I change my shirt? And just, like, that that was my shirt. I was just like, wow, I'm out now. And basically nobody knew before that. Wait, your shirt said gay? My shirt said gay, yeah.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh, we need Leather Talk shirts that just say gay on them. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. Wow. Okay, so did your parents just think, oh, this is part of the act, or were they really like, are you actually gay?
1: They, well, I guess my brother outed me or something. Like, they knew, and they were just like, oh, he'll come out when he's ready, mm. which I guess I have to be thankful for. Like, they clearly weren't, like, upset about it, about it. Yeah. Okay.
0: And what was the high school experience like then, now that you were out? I mean, probably the one of the only few you said, right? like.
1: Yeah, there was, it kind of, sometimes felt like I was a token like we had a gay straight alliance at the school and I would like go to the meetings and they'd be like hmm what do the gays want and then everyone would look at me and I'm like
0: because you're so into like in touch <laughs> with the whole gay community now you know everything
1: <laughs> but I I really don't have that many complaints I I feel like my just like coming out as just gay um mm-hmm. I feel pretty positive about it. There were always isolated experiences that weren't so lovely, but all in all, I am pretty happy with how things went. I'm really glad that people my age and people younger than me now are able to have these positive experiences rather than what might have been the case 15, 20 years ago, where
0: it's really
1: hard to be yourself at all.
0: Now, I'm curious to know, because you, you haven't mentioned yet anything about religion or anything. D- do you come from a spiritual or religious family? No,
1: I, both my parents are Jewish, and that's, I guess, Jewish people don't, well, my family doesn't mind that much. That's not something that goes against their religion. So that's pretty fortunate. Mm-hmm. I, I don't follow all the customs of Judaism. I'm sort of just. <laughs> You're just
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I find that really interesting because um you know when I moved to LA and I started dating around I actually like kind of hooked up with quite a few Jewish guys and I would always ask them as I go like, oh, so what does your family think about you know you being gay and most of the time they're like yeah it's not a problem like it just came out it wasn't a big deal and I thought that was so like interesting because me coming from a religious family I think religion I think like like you can't be yourself like you can't be gay like that's against the rules kind of thing
1: right i'm pretty fortunate i my family comes from like the east coast jewish scene or whatever and so it used to be like oh you gotta go find yourself a nice jewish girl and now it's okay gotta go find yourself a nice nice jewish boy (laughs) okay not too much is different
0: Uh, so let's talk about your, your sexual life. Now that you're out gay, I mean, had you had a sexual experience prior to you coming out that like confirmed that identity for you? Or was that like later on?
1: Um, it was definitely later on. I even, I came out and I never actually had a gay sexual experience. And once I was out, then I was able to find like, oh, there's like a little, um, gay and lesbian community organization in a neighboring town and so I would go over and visit there and I started going to a couple socials and that's where I kind of ended up having one or two more interesting experiences and then when I turned 18 I logged on to and I'm like huh I wonder what this app is like and it was <laughs> bad.
0: It was bad. <laughs> Can, well, I mean well okay before we get into the apps I'm curious to know that I mean, what was your first sexual experience? Was it what you thought it was like going to be? Um, or do you even remember it? Well,
1: my first sexual experience was not the greatest situation. Mm-hmm. I So uh, just something to disclose about me, I identify as on the autism spectrum. And though I didn't know at the time, I think that informs a lot of the ways of how I approach the world. Mm-hmm. So... I was out in these community groups, but I really didn't know what was going on. I didn't have a whole lot of mentoring. And the way I socially interact with people is a little bit, it's kind of informed by me trying to please people and trying to fit into social norms. And so when I met a man who was interested in me, I kind of was like, oh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I got to do everything right for this person. And it was not a great, situation Hmm. so i um yeah i met this man when i was 17 and he was uh, 39 and had an experience where i would probably classify it as maybe sexual assault so that was kind of a big wake-up call of like oh my gosh there's there's a lot to be aware of here that i was not aware of at all
0: right right wow so, I mean, I the, after that first experience, I mean, did you... like How did you handle going forward after that?
1: So, unfortunately, I kept seeing this person for a few months and it left me with... There were experiences that were very good and there were experiences that I would look back on now and I'm like, wow, that is very clear-cut abuse. Mm-hmm. And it kind of... It informs me in that I can realize like, okay, there's, there's a lot that goes into advocating for yourself. There's a lot that goes into being aware of how the world approaches you and how you should approach the world. And I'm fortunate that I was able to keep moving forward and keep seeking out experiences rather than just recoiling and being like, oh my God, I just had a bad sexual experience. I can't do sex anymore.
0: Right, right. And you can stop me anytime because I like I always say, you know, I don't want to pry, but I do want to pry a little bit because I'm curious. And I wonder, I mean, have you thought about why at the time that why you chose to keep going back to this person even after that first experience with them? So
1: I think something that a lot of people deal with is rejection-sensitive dysphoria. They they feel like they have to be a people pleaser, and I think it's especially true for people who are on the autism spectrum or are otherwise neurodiverse. They, they kind of feel like they need to please somebody, and if they're not doing that, they're not doing somebody, something right, they're letting somebody down. And I think there's a lot of important things to that in that it helps me function as a normal person and that i'm trying really hard to work for the benefit of others and it also makes me a good submissive in my leather relationships or power exchange relationships but unchecked and in situations where you're not comfortable with it kind of lets you be toyed around with by somebody It, it lets somebody make decisions for you and kind of form you into a person that is not healthy for you
0: so okay, but there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so I, I guess I would like to know at what point, I mean, as, as someone who maybe doesn't ha- like have all the, the sh- social cues or you know is ne- neurodiverse, as you said, at what point like how do you recognize when like a relationship you're established with somebody becomes no longer protective, no longer something that's beneficial or positive?
1: That's a really great question. In this particular case that I'm talking about with the first person that I hooked up with and then kept seeing it was just that they asked me if I wanted to have sex and I said no and then it happened anyway and I was like huh I think that's probably not healthy anymore (laughs) right Um, but as far as just looking out for yourself in general it's a really complex labyrinth and I don't think that people on the spectrum are a hundred percent unique in that they they're completely clueless and everyone else knows exactly how to tune their relationships. Like a lot of people Mm -hmm. have a lot of things to learn. Yeah. But learning how to advocate for yourself is probably one of the hardest things I've had to do being on the spectrum or just being in the leather community in general. It's really easy to be like, oh, I'm in this scene and it's really hot and I my hand is falling asleep or whatever, but I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to be untied. I'm having so much fun and I know the other person's having so much fun. Maybe if I can just like wait it out a little while longer and it ends up being totally counterproductive because the person who is trusting you to be able to communicate about what you are experiencing or what you need or what's wrong is all of a sudden not getting the feedback that they need and you're lying to yourself and you're lying to somebody else and then things get worse
0: yeah and and lots of things can happen with that i mean you could you could pass out from lack of circulation and you know all kinds of things i mean and i will preface i will apologize ahead of time if i Because I'm not very educated on this topic of neurodiversity. So if I do ask anything that comes across just out of place, please let me know. But could you maybe, for those who are not familiar with it, including myself, define what is neurodiversity? Because that's a term I'm just hearing now.
1: Absolutely. Um, I probably won't get this definition perfect, but neurodiversity is a term used for people who have some sort of condition that affects the way they perceive things. It could refer to disabilities, it could refer to like depression or anxiety. If people identify those as being disabilities, it can refer to ADHD or ADD. It can refer to different things that may be diagnosed, or it might just be somebody who says like, I feel like this is a term that describes me that describes that I don't quite perceive the world in the same way as other people.
0: And do you feel comfortable disclosing to us what your specific diagnosis is?
1: So I I mean I'm just on the autism spectrum. We the the term Asperger's syndrome isn't really used anymore, but I say I'm probably some would say high functioning autism. There are certain things that I'm really good at in my personal life that are kind of symptoms of being an autistic savant, like somebody who is really good at certain things and has deficits in other things. I also just have anxiety, um, which is fun.
0: (laughs) So I'm curious to know then, um, like, as you're coming into this kink world, I mean, how do you see that maybe you have like experience coming into leather and kink differently than let's say somebody else who isn't on like the high functioning autism spectrum, for example?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty interesting that Well, first of all, I will just say that people who are on the autism spectrum, they are certainly diverse in all kinds of ways, and my experience couldn't possibly categorize a whole group of people, absolutely. Um, People's symptoms are very, very unique to them. Sometimes some people will have symptoms that are completely opposite, and they're still indicative of certain labels. That being said, I think my experience of coming into leather... Has certainly been categorized by a certain intensity that often comes with people who are on the spectrum. Uh, people will have hyperfixations or hyper focuses where they'll they'll find something that catches their interest and that will absolutely capture them. <laughs> It'll become like you can think of like I don't know people will get involved in a certain project, or maybe I, for example, I'm a software engineer in my personal life, and so I will like, drill through a software engineering problem, and like, not eat and not sleep until I've figured it out, which is often unhealthy and something I have to learn to control, but in either case, when I found out about the leather scene, I was like, I am all in, I have got it, like, this is, this is my identity, this is everything, this has got to be like my whole purpose in life, clearly I'm exaggerating and over time you have
0: to (laughs)
1: realize that you have a full identity that you need to control very carefully and um, figure out what's healthy for you. But when I first discovered the like public scene, like people having parties in like dungeons and all, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Like I went to a tasting party and I got like Little flogging demo and some electro, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> so I, I have to say, you're very articulate, Daniel. Um something that I love that you just said was that I have you have to realize at some point that you have a full identity. And as much as we want to say that, like, oh yeah, like I'm I'm leather and I'm kinky and I'm I'm always on and, and like I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself, but that's just not true. Because there's just so, if I'm going to say that I'm just one thing, like, what does that really say about me? That I can't be multifaceted, that I can have different interests and skills and passions, and I can only wear one hat, and that's got to be the leather hat or the whatever hat, you know? And I just love that you pointed that out. That caught my attention.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's, it's something I'm still trying to figure out how to kind of tune for myself first coming into the scene I was just like I've got to go to this club every day I started volunteering and then I took all the trainings I was like doing orientations I took the dungeon monitor training and then I became like a manager on duty for some of the parties and I did all that in the course of just like maybe eight months or something and now that I've had time to think about it during the pandemic I'm like oh gee I really like tossed everything else to the wayside to go do that. And not that I'm ashamed of it, but this time has given me time to reflect about like, oh gee, okay, now that I've experienced that, I have that as kind of like one of my roots if I were some sort of plant. Um, Now I can kind of draw on the other roots of things that I'm really interested in and try to build an identity. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a great analogy. And I mean, I guess at some point you realize that like just because you dove straight headfirst into this one thing doesn't mean that that's what you have to do now from here on out. Like you can do other things still. So, can we talk about your first kink or leather experience? Was it at that club at the sampler, or like what was your first experience like coming into like actually be present?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I there's a couple fun stories that I remember, but one that i'm very fond of is that um it was still in my hometown somebody was visiting and i i was on grinder on the apps <laughs> <laughs> and i wasn't really broadcasting that i was into leather or bondage because i had never tried it before and i knew like i'd been watching porn of it and whatever and i was just like oh my gosh this is so incredible but i didn't have the gumption to just like broadcast that i figured like oh I live in a small town, and if I write on Grinder that I want to be tied up, then everyone's going to be talking about it, and I'm going to die or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, thinking back on that, I'm like, oh, I don't care. I'll put it all over my <laughs> Grinder profile. That's great. But somebody just sends me a message like out of the blue, and they just said, like hey, you into bondage? And I was like, oh, my gosh, how does he know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your heart starts racing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, and he was visiting. He had, like, two f- suitcases full of gear. He's just staying in a hotel somewhere. And... So this is just
0: a random guy passing through, like, visiting.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, disclaimer, I think there there's a lot of safety things that need to go into place into the apps to make sure that you're safe. Maybe I didn't follow all of them this time. I'm glad I didn't die. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but... Um, he was just describing to me like, oh, I've got like the suitcase. I've got like these cuffs. Like these are the things I'm into. And I, something I do when I'm like really excited is that I start to like, my body starts to shake. I oh, like wow. Wake. It's kind of like shivers or something, but I'm not cold. Mm-hmm. At the time I was working a shift at the pizza shop in my hometown. And I'm like, I'm having this conversation on Grinder on breaks or whatever. And this person's like, you should come over this evening. And so basically I'm like finishing out the shift, but my like legs are quaking. And I was like, what is wrong with you?
0: Because you're so excited.
1: <laughs> yeah. So after work, I get off at like 9.30 p.m. or something. It's probably a school night. I'm in senior year of high school, whatever. Uh, I drive over to this person's hotel and I walk in. And oh gosh, I think I walk in. There's like the smell of incense or something. He He puts his like hand on the side of my, on my hip, and kind of draws me in toward the bed, and he he starts talking to me, he starts saying, like, here's how I like to play, here's my opinions on safe words, all these kinds of things that I hadn't really been exposed to before, and I'm really grateful that this person, like, was first of all being really sexy about it, and, like, having physical contact, but also talking me through these conversations, mm-hmm. And he was like, "Okay, let's just give you like a couple little experiences to have you feel what things feel like." So he put like a a hood on me and put these like metal shackles around my wrists, and like laid me down on the bed and starts like exploring me with his tongue and uh.
0: <laughs> are you shaking now <laughs>
1: I am not shaking right now, but I definitely was even like when I was there. I think he also asked like, are you okay? Do you need a hospital (laughs) or something? I don't think he said that, but.
0: (laughs) Wow. So, okay. Like, well, while this is all happening, it's not going through your head that like, um, like, wow, I'm being tied up at any moment. He could like do whatever he wants to me and leave me here for dead.
1: Or is that part of the thrill? I don't think that's part of the thrill for me i i kind of got the vibe that this well i thought i could trust this person and it turns out that i could but like there's there's not much that i can say except for like gee i'm glad nothing worse happened but i stayed there like all night i think i i got like a phone call from my mom at like 4 30 a.m oh god i had to take out a ball gag to answer it and i was just like hi how's it going she was like (laughs) where are you (laughs) are you dead i was like no thanks
0: (laughs) thanks for checking off on me i'm just in bondage (laughs) wow so like that first experience for you i mean was that the first time then that you were like tied up and kinky i mean you've been thinking about this your whole life basically
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I think so. I think that must have been the first, like, experience just trying things out. And I got all kinds of different interesting things. Some things I'm surprised that I, like, did my first time. Like, I was I was spread-eagled and he was, like, pouring wax onto my nipples. Oh, wow. Which, I, I don't know, that's, I don't think it was, like, the hottest wax, but that's still kind of intense for a first try.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, there was some pretty severe, like, spanking and other impact play. I don't know why this hotel had like a big full-size mirror next to the bed. I'm trying to, I don't know if this person brought the mirror. <laughs> for your
0: viewing convenience, that's what
1: it was for. I can't imagine this person would have brought the mirror in their suitcase, but I can't eschew that idea from my mind completely because <laughs> it just seems on character.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Now, do you still
0: connect with this person today or?
1: um, Not very often. I I still am in contact with them. I just haven't done anything with him a long time
0: okay so when you like going forward after this I mean like you've just broken out of your shell like your your bondage shell like where do you go from here
1: I think I think at that point I don't know if I signed up for recon like immediately after or maybe it was before but I did get on recon and I started like very actively pursuing like, oh, this person's like 50 miles away. Okay, I can make a day trip out there. Like, Mm -hmm. I I was like, okay, this is the thing for me. I got to go pursue this. I got to go seek this out um, rather than just waiting for it to happen to me, which it did in this case. But
0: (laughs) yeah, I mean, you were very lucky to one, have someone like fly through town, but two, that they (laughs) knew what they were doing and were safe about it. Absolutely. So now you're on Recon, and I mean, it, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I know you, you have had or have like a, a daddy or a you have some kind of like subdom dynamic. Is that right? Or am I getting that like totally off?
1: Uh, that's right. I, I do not. I don't refer to him as a daddy. I'm in a MS dynamic with a gentleman in Los Angeles, MS being master slave note that those terms have historical baggage behind them and we try to be very cognizant of that while also noting that our relationship has a lot of differences with chattel slavery and we think it's an appropriate combination of terms for us to use, um, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, um, I'm really glad to be seeing a master in Los Angeles. We met uh, over the summer of 2019 so, uh, I guess coming up on two years ago now, wow, which is pretty incredible. When I met this person, I actually met him on recon and we ended up meeting up for a lunch that summer, but I had no experience with sub dom or any sort of power exchange relationship outside of just like scenes or play. And this person, he was very, very into power exchange dynamics and was like that this is the thing that i'm looking for and i was like okay um this is really interesting i i want to know more um mm-hmm. so after we talked um we had that lunch that one time we started texting a lot back and forth and he kind of proposed to me like this is the kind of thing that i've done in the past i i've been both a master and a slave for other people and these are things that I really enjoy and it kind of morphed into a thing where I was like okay I'm willing to give this a shot and start learning about this Um, and so I began calling him sir and he would call me boy and I just at some point fell over the moon for the dynamic Um, (laughs) I was confused at first like he would say like oh I like I'm asking like what what does a dom do for a sub and what does a sub do for a dom like is it just a play thing and he's like no it's very much like it has components of just the fact that power is a really interesting and complex thing that you can play with that can make your relationships really really interesting and deep and meaningful and you can work with power in these ways and there's also the service that a sub gives to a dom is meaningful for a sub who really enjoys like giving service being meaningful to somebody mm-hmm. and it was something that really struck me and over time i started just completely like craving every single order one story that i think is funny is like i think i was like in my college dorm or whatever and it was kind of messy and so i set up a text like oh my goodness my dorm room is so messy and he's like uh cool <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like I have the time to clean it. And, You're trying and to the hint energy. at him like, <laughs> help me. I'm like practically begging him <laughs> to like give me an order to clean my room. And I just... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I guess that was gonna be my next question. I mean, what does your subdom relationship look like? Because it could look like a many different things. It sounds like you have a craving for like, you know, taking orders and, and being obedient. What does your dynamic look like in the everyday? Right.
1: Uh thanks for asking. Um, so right now we're long distance. I'm in Colorado and he's in Los Angeles. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually I spent about six months in Los Angeles and we got to experience living together under just the greatest circumstances ever a global pandemic.
0: (laughs) And how long did you guys live together?
1: Uh, It was about six months um, until I had a lease that was starting in Colorado Springs again. And so during that time, it was very complex and confusing just because we had all these like external factors and we were like, cooped up in a house together where we weren't leaving at all. And we were just like, what, what is happening? We, we had completely different lives.
0: I I mean, that must've been so exciting for you though, right? Like to come and spend six months out of your life for, you know, as bad as the pandemic was. I mean, you were able to take this opportunity to come and experience this in the flesh cuz if you think about it prior to that your only experience you know was like talking and finding people online mostly right
1: right at at this point i had found out about this leather club so i was um i was in somewhat of a community it's a pansexual club which is primarily heterosexual okay and so i didn't have a whole lot of like gay folks that i could like really hook up with and do all kinds of great things with so all of a sudden i was seeing this master and I was like, I remember thinking before the pandemic happened, like, oh my gosh, I love this person so much. I just like want to go be with them. I don't think I can do two more years of school like wow. so far away with him, from him. Like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And then the pandemic
0: happened and I was like, hmm, not sure if I want it that way, but I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so, what did that dynamic look like when you were like living in the house together? Was it a positive experience for you?
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I'm I'm really really happy. Like I I remember I I drove the whole way over there because I didn't want to fly during the pandemic mm-hmm. if, if I even could. And I remember I was just like smiling the whole time. I like oh. got out of the car and we it was it was so piss- picturesque. And oh, so anyway,
0: Daniel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so. Over time, I kind of had to figure out like, okay, what is what is service? What does this look like? How, what is my function? Like sexually, what is my function? Just like as a person. And sometimes it's not the most glorious thing. Like sometimes it's just like, oh, I just do, I do the dishes. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, that's service. That makes the master's life better and um, gives him less things to worry about. So that's a great positive thing. Some of it was just being, well during uncertain times sex was not at the forefront of our minds but there was still all kinds of really incredible and great bondage and snm play Mm -hmm. he's a very he's really into impact play and other SM, and so i got to experience all kinds of very new ways of being beat (laughs) 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 which is great
0: so uh when he like let's say for example when you're doing the dishes and you're like oh this is an act of service in order for you to feel fulfilled as a sub in that situation do you have to be asked to do it or do you just do it and know that you're you're doing an act of service and that's fulfilling for you
1: that's a good question and frankly like i think there might be some slaves or subs that would have like a very clear cut answer I'm kind of all over the map. Like, sometimes I'm just like doing the dishes and I'm just like, I hate this. I don't want to be doing this. I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that I was able to like make a really good dinner and now I get to clean up and it's as if nothing ever happened except he's happier and that um, makes you happy. That feels good. Sometimes it's annoying being told to do something that you feel like you're going to do anything. Sometimes it's just annoying to be told to do something in general. And that's just something that somebody who's a sub has to cope with and figure out like hmm what works for me what makes me feel good or bad like do I do I even care about doing the dishes or does this do absolutely nothing for me yeah and sometimes I feel like I still have to figure that out I mean dishes suck no I'm just kidding
0: (laughs) (laughs) so when you're in this dynamic um, I mean like you're now in kind of a 24-7 situation with this person are you on all the time I mean like is Daniel the sub Daniel the sub all day every day when you're living with this person or does that part of you come out at certain times so
1: I I think that's a really good question I think it's interesting because I have to be able to say like oh the submissive part of me is not my entire identity I have Mm -hmm. plenty of other things that are really important to me that being said It's also important that being a sub is not just like um, kind of a, to me, it's like not just like a play thing. Like, oh, I just like do, I just act sub whenever I want to. And then, so you want it to be a lifestyle kind of thing. Yeah. And I I know a lot of people who have come up with really interesting ways of articulating to me their own dynamics. I know some people who are like, oh, I'm the breadwinner of the family. And so I like I think of when I go to work every day I am making money as my service to the household. Mm. Um, in in my case, I guess I'm again still trying to figure it out. I certainly don't feel like I just turn it off when I go do something else. I still feel like I am in service, but how that expresses itself might not always be like the active activity I'm doing and sometimes it's just like there in the back of my mind even when i'm doing something else like when i'm topping somebody else like sure i can still be a sub to somebody and still be devoted to them but i'll just be i don't know beating somebody else right now (laughs) yeah yeah
0: absolutely so now in in the future i mean like do your other relationships i mean i don't know if you're if you have an open relationship or or what that's like, but I mean, in the future, do you see that all of your relationships may have to fall into the category of some kind of subdom dynamic?
1: That's a good question. And I, I haven't really thought about all of these all the way. I, I think for my master's case, he is pretty strict about the fact that he wants all of his future relationships to be based on some sort of power exchange. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm still not quite sure I might find that the best fit for me is wanting certain relationships to be egalitarian and others to be dom-sub. I do identify as polyamorous, and so I'm open to having other relationships on top of the one that I have right now, and I just haven't really decided. I, I think I have, there's just very complex ways that people can relate with each other, and this type of relationship might be something that's unique to only me and this current master and nobody else ever again or it might be just my new default right. i'm just not sure
0: um now i do, did want to ask you a couple questions that may or may not be like within line of what we've already been talking about but they've been sort of in the back of my mind um mm-hmm. one is for those of the older generation that are listening to your show right now in listening to how you've come into the scene would you agree with the statement that the social apps, the internet, the phone, the technology that was accessible to you was integral in getting into the scene. I mean, if you didn't have a phone and you didn't have the technology available to you, would you be where you are today? Oh,
1: gosh, I, when I think about the apps, part of me is like, gee, they, they've kind of caused a lot of like angst and stress and judgment that I really could have lived without. There's, A lot of, especially if you're spending a lot of the time on, a lot of time on the apps, you run into a lot of rejection and a lot of people who are just like playing out like discriminatory and racist Mm -hmm. and transphobic and all kinds of things that you're like, oh, gee, this just pollutes my worldview. I don't like this. But that being said, I'm also having trouble seeing how I could have possibly met some of the people that I've met without being able to rely on some of these apps. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate because it feels like feels like a necessary poison. Where I'm just like, oh gee, I've had like maybe four or five or six like really meaningful relationships that still continue to this day off of the apps, and then just like hours and hours of
0: angst and terribleness <laughs> off of Grinder. Right. I mean, I guess that could be said with lots of other things too, but. I mean, I guess just the, the point that I, I don't know if that I wanted to make, but just something that I, I observed from your story was like how important that was to like how you got to where you are now. And like, not everybody has a local leather community or kink community that's thriving and available to them all the time, you know? And I just think it's important that like, we take that into account. Like, yeah, the apps, blah, 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 whatever. But like, they they are bringing meaningful relationships in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's my preaching. I'm done for today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When it comes to leather, what is your connection to leather itself because it seems like you sort of came into this scene as like a direct result of your attraction to kink.
1: That's a good point. I I certainly think that I don't know if I ever had like a leather fetish to begin with. I but as I like explored different I don't know porn or whatever it was just like always an element and I think I might have just been conditioned to like the look of people wearing like physical leather Mm -hmm. Um, when I first entered the like public scene was when I joined like what identifies itself as a leather club and that was when I kind of realized like okay there are people who are working toward a community and a community means that they have these kinds of meetups and this kind of support and um, these kinds of events and these kind of classes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this feels like a way to express my kink. And I see how it's sort of become more than that. Like, I'm not, I've taught a couple random classes, for example, for like, I taught one for my college that was just like a little intro to like sexual safety and BDSM or whatever. And I was like, okay, that's not really me expressing my kink. That's just like, being somebody who's trying to be involved in the community and try to make a positive difference, which feels like a pretty big goal of the leather community. But I guess my connection to leather itself was kind of just like, okay, this feels derivative of kink, and this seems like a way, something that I can invest energy in outside of just, like, finding as many play partners as possible and tying them up.
0: hmm Okay. So, like, it's, it's being used as sort of, like, a vehicle to more like directly focus your kink and, and your connection to the community itself would you say
1: right I think that's accurate for me and that might be totally different from how most people view leather um, some people think of like leather as like the community as their like a core part of what they're doing or why this is their passion and um, maybe for me it kind of just sprung out of being the fact that I was into bondage and such yeah
0: yeah now, how old are you now, Daniel? I am 22. Oh, you're 22 now. Okay. Gosh. Well, so much <laughs> happened in the years of 18 to 22. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because of your age, well, I guess not because of your age, but I guess we're both, I guess you could say young and, and like the leather scene. Uh, where are some places that you would you would hope to go in the future? Like, what are some things that you want to discover? What are some things that you want to experience? Uh, what's the future look like for you?
1: Gosh, that's something that I definitely have to be thinking about as restrictions open up in the country and we see what life might be like after COVID. I haven't really been to any events outside of Colorado. I've been to Thunder in the Mountains, which is a pretty exciting convention in Denver. But outside of that, I've never visited San Francisco. The time that I spent in LA was either before I was 21 and so I wasn't allowed to drink or go anywhere fun, or it was during COVID when everything was shut down. And so I just, I need to see what Chicago is like. I need to see what San Francisco is like mm-hmm. and maybe I'll decide like, oh gee, this is, maybe I don't need the scene a scene like this, but I at least feel like I need to go places and meet some people, especially now that I've been meeting all kinds of people who are really incredible and interesting online and I have never met them in person
0: yeah yeah absolutely up until this point with all of your experiences what would you say is one of your fondest memories whether that be a sexual experience or a non-sexual experience
1: oh gosh i think i guess an experience that I just can't get over. Just I always smile when I think about it. Was It was Valentine's Day of 2020, mm-hmm. and I was visiting my current master in Los Angeles, and I think I just had one of the most incredible scenes I'd ever had. And it wasn't like just like, oh, the most pain I've ever taken or anything. It was just the most intimate thing I'd felt. And I think In my play, I'd always been trying to be like, oh, I've just got to do like the most, the scariest marks or the most interesting bondage or whatever. And then I had this experience that was just so incredibly intimate that I was like, oh my gosh, this is like brand new opening my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was with my master and we had just gone out on a really nice dinner date and we were back home playing and I was tied spread eagle to the bed with like a gas mask on and just the thing that sent me over the moon was he was breathing his breath into the gas mask and I was inhaling it. This was before COVID. (laughs) Um, Wow. And I was just like every breath that I took just like sent me further and further into space. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I've been doing up until this point, but this is like an absolute revolution in my head. And I'm I'm sure I might be open to more experiences like that in the future, much as I have been in the, fa- in the past. But that just felt like such a turning point to me mm-hmm. to show how intimate the things that we do are.
0: Wow. I mean, how did that inform your experiences going forward? Do you have, I mean, is that something that you're, you're searching or reaching for in every experience now, or is that how, how do you, what's navigation like after that point? I didn't have a
1: whole lot of time to explore that before the world shut down, but I do remember feeling like, okay, I've got this a couple of plate partners that I hook up with every so often, maybe every couple of months or so. And, I was kind of like, have I just been, like, acting? Am I just, like, trying to put on a performance that will, like, make me seem like a kinky, fun guy or whatever? And it really made me pivot and think, like, okay, how do I find exactly what is going to make this person, like, what is going to send this person over the moon? And how can I carefully craft something that will get them there, that will blow their mind? And I I don't know the answer to that every time. It means that I have to have a lot more communication with somebody. And honestly, I just feel like I need to establish more of a connection with people. Pick up play is great. And sometimes it can be really sexy, and really fun. But if it's not informed by some sort of connection or some sort of kind of being the same wavelength with somebody, it can totally fall flat on its face.
0: Um out of all this time, I mean like we're coming out of quarantine, you've been exploring the last several years of your life actively with S&M and what what is maybe one of like the most profound things that you've learned about yourself during your journey so far. I I think that's a
1: really good question. Um I've always worried that I am just totally like a social flop. I always felt like kind of an outcast and I, I know that's a classic feeling for people who have certain identities, but I feel like this has really gotten me to a point where I can value myself and really have a lot of self-confidence that I never really had before. Suddenly I have all kinds of people who are cheering me on from my own community, all kinds of people who are really interested in me as a person and as an s or BDSM player. And suddenly I just feel like, I have a lot more self-confidence. I feel like I've really grown in just being more myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad about that.
0: Now, I'm curious to know, because I know you said, like, in the past, you felt like you needed to, in some words, or, like, uh, live kind of like for other people's own pleasure. Like, you don't want to disappoint anybody. You know, if your head was tied up in the wrong way, like, you weren't sure whether to say anything or not. I mean... Is that something that you still struggle with, or has kink given you in some ways, like, the ability to look past that?
1: I think the first thing it does is it sheds light on it. Like, I think those kind of issues in my communication have been present for a long time, and I just haven't really needed to address them because they haven't been as urgent as something that might cause bodily harm or Mm -hmm. cause a breach of trust in a relationship. And... All of a sudden I have to really like take a close look at myself with a microscope and be like oh gee this is this is hard this is something that I don't want to be a part of myself anymore this is harmful and this Mm. has been causing me problems all over the place now finally I can take a look at it and address it
0: so it's really prompted you to face that head-on
1: absolutely And and I can't say I've perfectly addressed it I I still feel like in the right situation, I would be afraid to speak up and I just need to learn how to train myself and get over things where I might be having trouble. But I, I can remember experiences early on where I really just didn't know how to advocate for myself. I would just kind of sit through a scene that was going not very well and just feel like, okay, they've probably got like 15, 20 more minutes in them before they're gonna feel like stopping. I can probably just sit through this. <laughs> um yeah. And that's that's not good. Right. <laughs> don't do that. I
0: mean and what what a di- what a huge difference between like that experience and then the one of intimacy that you described earlier. It's like now it's almost I mean I don't know if you thought about this but like you've gone through a transformation on what you seek out in these experiences and what you need for yourself in these experiences.
1: Right. Absolutely. And uh, that that's really well put. I guess I hadn't really thought about it so Succinctly, I know that I've been having to make a lot of changes to myself and I haven't really gone back and looked in the rearview mirror and been like, huh, I used to be like that. Now I'm like this. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get a little bit more kinky, Daniel. What do you say? You know, slap me if this is inappropriate a question, but I am curious to know, because I, I know you've kind of mentioned before, like as someone who identifies as, as new or diverse, that there might be certain things that you might have a focus on or, or sensitivity to. And I'm curious if that in some ways, like elevates some of your kink experiences, like that, that hyper focus on like one aspect, or is, does that not come into play?
1: I think that comes into play in a couple ways. Um, there are certainly... You'll certainly find people on the spectrum who have, like, sensitivities to different, like, sensations that make them really intense or really displeasurable or really, like, just terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, like, I, for some reason, I just, like, hate foam. Like, if I, if you touch the, those little, like, blocks of foam to my body, that's, mm. like, probably a safe word for me. Oh, wow. But on the other hand... There's like parts of my body that are really, really sensitive, like the back of my neck and my spine will make me like, my senses just like shut down if they're like touched in a certain way, just because they're it's so sensitive and it's so pleasurable. As far as that applies to activities, I think just in general, people go for like a form of intensity where they're like, oh, I'll just keep like pushing the boundary, not the boundary, but- The threshold- yeah, and they'll keep being like, oh, I tried this, now I got to go like a step up. And that's, I think that's really exciting and interesting. And so I, I've i always been interested in pretty heavy bondage. And so now like the things I'm seeking out is like, hmm, how could I get like mummified or put in a sleep sack, or, like, <laughs> suspended from like all kinds of different points or oh my gosh. hung upside down from my ankle or something. Like I, I definitely just get into the fact that, like, oh my gosh, I just tried something that was so great. There's got to be something greater beyond it. Um,
0: (laughs) So can you describe to us one of your, like, most memorable, sexy, hottest bondage scenes and what that looks like?
1: Oh, uh, I have one that I think was pretty fun and exciting and funny. Okay. Um, (laughs) It was a play party at the local dungeon around here, Voodoo Leatherworks. And it was my friend's birthday or something. And I had just gotten these ankle suspension cuffs. Okay. Um, like the ankle stirrups where you can kind of put them around like your ankle and the bottom of your foot and hang upside down from them. And so I was like, oh, I've got an idea. I'll like be your pinata.
0: Oh, um, that sounds kind of hot.
1: Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So it wasn't like the most intimate scene. It was more of kind of like a party trick type of scene that exists. It's like, I don't know, it's like party magic, but your bondage is, I don't know. Right. (laughs) So we found a spreader bar in the back room and I hooked it up to those. I think I, I had like a muzzle on and wrist to thigh restraints. And so I was just kind of like hanging upside down, I don't know, (laughs) hanging out there. And I'd appointed, like, one person that I knew pretty well to kind of be, like, the scene manager or whatever. Uh And so she was in charge of making sure that, like, the people who were going to do whatever they were going to do were going to do it safely according to pre-established limits and kind of gave, like, proxy consent to people that she trusted or thought that I would trust. Uh, I
0: see. Okay.
1: And beyond that, it was just, like... People doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, one person was like a massage therapist and she wanted to destroy all my muscles. Oh my God. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just like push into them until they, I don't know, turn into bits or whatever. <laughs> um, somebody like went to the back freezer and found like a bunch of ice cubes and were doing crazy things with them. Having an ice cube in your butt is an experience. Oh, I've I- had that, you that before. And it's like, um, oh my God. <laughs>
0: wow okay so what is the um the 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 kinky club that is around your area like i mean you said it's pansexual is it just like everyone's whipping and flogging each other at all times of the day i mean like what does that look like
1: (laughs) so before covid they had a lot of parties with different themes they'd usually be on the weekends so usually saturday nights and a couple events on Friday nights. Sometimes they'd have dungeon parties on Wednesdays just for fun. And then they'd fill out the rest of their calendar with different classes. And Mm -hmm. um, so the classes would be things all the way from like intro to BDSM. They'd have like skills classes weekly that would teach you how to use some sort of different technique or activity or something. Um, There were discussion groups and it served a pretty wide population. So. Mm There were groups from, like, just a poly meetup group. There was um, a mass chapter, Masters and Slaves Together. And then the play parties would usually have a certain theme. There'd be one swingers party every month. There'd usually be a tastings party where staff would show up and be able to give little demos of different activities all the way from, like, like bondage or uh, impact play all the way to, like, fire play and needle play. Wow. There'd be a leather-themed party, which was kind of a more high protocol, like very quiet, intense energy, lots of flogging. Whereas the swingers parties would be not a whole lot of, well, actually, S and M wasn't really allowed at those parties because there was alcohol and oh, you know, I you see. Mix those. Right, exactly. Oh, and then once a month there was a heavy hitters uh, <laughs> party <laughs> that would be on the fifth Saturday of the month, if there was one. And so there might be like three or four a year. And those were the intense ones where people would just like cut into each other and do hook pulls and suspensions. Oh my God. Good times. Okay.
0: Well, I just have to say, I mean, for not having like a thriving gay community, like leather BDSM community there, you have this club that is like probably like a sanctuary to you. I mean, like these are so many incredible things that you have available to you at this establishment.
1: Absolutely. I I feel really, really fortunate and the, the people around here who keep the club going are really really incredible um it's all volunteer run it's not like it's not run for a profit or anything um and all the money that they make goes back into the community they, they donate to keep the local events around here going um it's a really incredible club and they there's all kinds of really great things that i've gotten to experience maybe it's not the best place to like find other gay people but like i've seen things that are probably really hard to come across. Like I've been to just like hook suspension showings and I'm just like, wow, this is is really intense and intimate and I just get to be here and watch.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't offer you, like you said, the gay scene that you're looking for, but what it does offer is, from what you're saying, incredible. So you're really, really fortunate to have that. Uh, Before we go, I do want to ask a couple last questions. Um, One, I mean being the 22-year-old Daniel Bind that you are, (laughs) what would be your first word of advice to people, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, just starting out and wanting to explore more of themselves this way?
1: I think my words of advice would be to just try to take things at face value. Sometimes we can get caught up in dynamics of a community and worrying about being popular or who wants to play with us. And sometimes it's okay to just relax into things and just kind of take information as it goes, try to process it to the best of your ability and see kind of what makes you happy, what reactions you have and how you can act on them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not experiencing this right. I'm not enjoying this like i should i don't understand what my identity is going to be and even though i'm probably not the best person at just like relaxing and letting things roll over me i would hope that that's something that people can kind of take to heart
0: so in other words you're saying just like don't be afraid to have the experience like you don't have to label yourself you don't have to be in your head about the whole thing too much
1: yeah definitely i think there's there's just a lot of pressure and a lot of it is unnecessary, and sometimes it's okay to just step back and be like, okay, I'm doing this for myself. I'm not doing this to, like, win or whatever. Right, exactly. Competitive BDSM.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I that, that sounds like an interesting uh, TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. And for those listening to your story now that maybe are nodding their heads at some of the things that you said about neurodiversity and they're like, yeah, that's me. Like, I deal with this or that. I mean, from your own experience, I mean, you can only speak from your experience, of course, but could you share any words of wisdom for those who might be going through some of those same things coming into the scene?
1: Definitely. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have advice that will fix everything or make everything suddenly clear. But I've seen that there's really a desire in the community for better understanding of how to approach the world with all kinds of people's different brains and even people who don't identify with a specific label. So just moving forward, I think it's really important that you try to do everything you can to establish a framework that can help you listen to yourself. Um, Something that I struggled with a lot was like, I would feel all kinds of emotions throughout a day living with my master or going to the club, and I would kind of just let them wash over me, just like go in one ear and out the other, and i just be like, okay, I'm just gonna keep going. And, once I started taking time to say, like, hey, master, can we, like, maybe do a check-in every day or something and just talk about how we're feeling, it started giving me space that I needed to think about things and bring them to the table and talk through them. And I think the best things that we can do for e- ourselves and each other is just communicate more because we'll find out things about each other, we'll find out things that we have in common, and we'll find out ways to approach the world in a way where we can feel healthier and happier.
0: Absolutely. And lastly, before we go today, Daniel, I mean, leather has, in some ways for a long time, even more than just you physically being present in it, has meant so much to you. Today, where where you stand now, uh, what does leather mean to you in just a few words?
1: Leather to me means we can fine tune the way that we think about ourselves and others and do everything we can in our power to make our experiences better in ways that will make us all happy.
0: Well, I want to thank you again, Daniel, for coming on the show today and before we go i want to remind our audience about our upcoming event that i will be hosting alongside queen anna Elgos, miss sanctuary leather 2020 i will be broadcasting over zoom from the bullet bar and she will be doing the same from sanctuary lax studios those who would like to join us at those prospective locations may do so on may 30th at 3 p.m pacific standard time you can also log into the zoom which will be viewable on both of our social medias linked below we're calling this event Leather Together, where we will host several panels covering the topics of leather history, BDSM, and personal stories from various leather title holders. We will also have performances and prizes, and all of the proceeds from the prize items and donations will go towards the L.A.L.C. Cares, Boulevard Pantry, and Reach LA. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening, and as always,
1: stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, stay kinky.